Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. It is Wednesday, the 18th of May, 2022. This is the 110th edition of the program. Thank you for being with us. Today on the show, I'm going to be featuring an interview, a conversation with artist Ian Kamau. Ian has released music, produced various events, written and worked in mixed medium arts, including video. Recently, Ian worked on a film called We Went Out. The film is described this way. We Went Out is a short film about the world racialized youth create for themselves when the world tells them there is limited space. More so, it appears to be about the lifelong relationship built out of need and love within self-formed communities that ultimately live as memories. That is a write-up from the website byblacks.com, so you can read about the film there. Ian shares a lot about this film and the process of creating it within our conversation. Uh, I spoke with him in Toronto, and here is our exchange. Uh, my name is Ian Kamau. I'm an artist, writer, and designer from Toronto. I made this film called We Went Out, which is a 12-minute... I kind of don't know exactly how to describe it. Like It's like a expressive documentary. I don't know. Whatever. It's a film uh, that's 12 minutes. So uh, Rosina Kazi from Lao called me in the spring of 2021 and asked me if I would shoot something for uh, the Luminato Festival which she was a curator at at the time. Originally, it was about like neighborhoods and venues that were close to neighborhoods. And so she knows I have a, a long-standing relationship with Esplanade, which is in, a, in the official text is called the St. Lawrence neighborhood. But nobody, nobody I know calls it that. Um, so Esplanade. And there was a venue called the government or at a different time cool house that was just down the street from here um which now has been demolished and it is uh artscape launchpad and also i think a bunch of condos and office things i can see it out of my literally out of my back window so we went to a ton of shows there um so i was like all right cool then she called me back a couple of weeks later i was just thinking about it i hadn't started anything uh, she called me back a couple of weeks later and she said, actually, we're kind of redirecting it into it being about like some of the venue closures. So I was like, OK, you know, obviously pandemic, COVID, uh, a bunch of the arts industry, uh, theater venues, music venues, whatever. There are a lot of closures that happened in Toronto it was going to affect not only those venues, but the artists that performed inside of them. And so I said to her, you know. I have a lot of good memories inside of those places, but also a lot of those places didn't treat us very well. By us, I mean like young black people who are interested in hip hop and spoken word and all that kind of stuff. A lot of those places were predominantly rock venues. And some of them, I'm not saying all of them, and maybe it was just individuals, wouldn't even book shows for us there. Um, 
Uh, the sound people often treated us very badly. Like it wasn't serious music. It was like you know it was hip hop. It was like you you give them your CD or your DAT or whatever, and you go and perform. And what do you really need a sound check for? You know, uh, and all kinds of other stuff. And so, although I was sad to see some of those places go, I also I have I have a different I have a complicated relationship with some of those places because although we have very strong memories of doing our first shows or watching other people's shows uh or just being involved in in like the the hip-hop scene in toronto and in downtown toronto more specifically also there was like an underpinning of racism or even ageism when it comes to like being a young kid and um that kind of thing and so she was kind of like, yeah, but you could also just do what you want to do. So I was like, okay. I looked up the definition of venue. And a venue is just a place where something happens. Sure, it could be like a music venue. But also it could be like the venue that you and your friends used to freestyle after school. And that would have been the front steps of Oakwood Collegiate or inside the doors in the winter or the alleyway across the street or Hillcrest Park at two o'clock in the morning or like the benches by Esplanade or, you know, the, the park by Danilo's house or like, you know what I mean? Like all of those were really our venues and especially for that age of young people, 14 to like early 20s. Oftentimes you were too young to go to certain places um, and the places that were meant for you weren't cool. Like we didn't, we were not the people that spend a bunch of time in community centers, for instance. Um, and, and all of us lived with single mothers in apartments. So there was no other place in our homes to go to where you and your friends could be on your own when you were old enough to be on your own. You had to go out. You had to go out. You didn't have a backyard to have a barbecue in. You didn't have a basement where you could have your little studio set up or your friends could come down there and like do whatever they were going to do. You had to go out somewhere, you know. And so I started thinking about where our venues were. And a lot of them were random places. They were not a fit. They were, you know, if you were doing a, if you were writing a paper, if you were writing an academic paper, you know, in environmental studies or whatever, you would call it liminal space or <laughs> whatever. But it's just in between random places that were basically meant for you to walk through. Sidewalks, streets, steps, uh, you know, front doors, like a lot of places that are actually meant for people to walk through. The places that you would see, no loitering signs. Like you're not supposed to stand here. And then you would stand there because that was your venue, you know. And so it's kind of a like, it's a, it's really just a story about me and my friends. It's not all that theoretical stuff is a part of it that definitely I was thinking about. But fundamentally, it's just me and my closest group of friends and the things that we loved and the places where uh, we were and the things that we experienced together that built our relationship, which is now a 30-year relationship, you know? And so I wanted to make something that spoke to that. 
what it actually is, which is just a kind of an expression of something that already ha that happened or that is continuing to happen. So, you know, like some of my friends have children now. And for instance, my niece, she's 13. She's going to turn 14 in October. She's in the piece at the end with her mom. I, I mean, I call her my niece because we're not blood related, but because her mom is one of my best friends and one of those people that I've known for almost 30 years. And her, uh, Blue, my niece, and my godson, they're in that age when we all met each other. They're, they're living in situations with single moms in apartments. And they will literally be going out into the world. They already are going out into the world away from us. Their parents, their uncles, their aunts, you know, their elders now. We are the people that they don't want to be underneath of, you know, like we have a relation. Obviously, we have a relationship with them, but they need to have an independent relationship from us. And I'm not sure that it has actually changed. I'm not sure when someone sees my 14 year old black godson standing on a corner with his friends that he's going to have a much different experience than the experience we have of being shooed away or worse in those situations. We used to go and freestyle at Hillcrest Park up by Christie, just below St. Clair. That's where Paul used to live. Um, Paul's my, the, the second person who kind of shows up after uh, my friend Danilo. And I shot everybody in, in front of the places where they lived when I first met them. So we used to go freestyle at Hill, Hillcrest Park. There was a basketball court there. We, I shot some stuff with them there as well. It was just, it was too dark. I wanted to shoot it at night and it was too dark. One of the interesting things is actually there are tennis courts there, which most parks in downtown Toronto don't necessarily have tennis courts. Trinity Bellwoods does and Hillcrest does. There's a class implication to that. And also the tennis courts are beautifully lit and the basketball courts, if it gets too late, pitch black, <laughs> right? So I thought that was interesting, just going up to Hillcrest. But when we were 16, 17, we would go sit on the benches next to the basketball courts, hang out, have freestyle sessions, all that kind of stuff. Some people would play ball. And if we were there till one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, the police would drive over the field onto the basketball court just to tell us to leave. So I'm just not convinced that... The, gen the generation that is now coming up, who may be 12, 13, 14, who are just getting the ability to leave their house on their own, unsupervised by their parents, are going to have a much different experience than we had. I hope that people have, in fact, realized how valuable though that age and, the, and all of the things that happen in that time and the culture that is always created out of the youth out of young people is, I would hope that that is valued, but I'm not convinced that it actually is or that seeing a film is going to make them value it more, even though it is constantly happening. Like people are constantly turning 14.
I think you I think youth culture moves in like three to five year generations. <laughs> so when we say like hip hop, the hip hop of the mid 90s and the hip hop of now is very different. And also there are uh, there are a bunch of different evolutions of what we would just call hip hop, which is a hugely general thing. Um that we're probably not even privy to in any serious way. It's like a thing that I asked my, you know, my niece or my godson about, and they're like, oh, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. But I'm not sure how many of the adults in their life are actually like sitting inside of Fortnite with them or like sitting, listening to what it is that they're listening to and kind of being able to evaluate it in the way that you would evaluate your own stuff. Um, but, but, they have their own thing, and they're and they're meant to have their own thing because they're thirteen. They don't want your forty-two year old thing. They want the thing that they other people that are in and around their age that that come out of their reality that their the the culture that is around them that that they are that they are creating, and they and it's it's actually their job as thirteen, fourteen year olds to begin to carve out their own space, both in terms of their their independence from their parents, which their parents hopefully are supporting, um, but also in terms of the things that they're in, like the things that are being created and the things that they're in, you know, that's that's theirs, that's theirs, and and it'll it'll be built from them, probably from all this all of our stuff, but still it'll be theirs, you know. We are the people of that city. Everyone, from the people that live in Rosedale and Bridal Path and whatever, to the people who live in Malvern and Esplanade and, you know what I mean? P.O. and Regent and, and Jane Finch and Rexdale and wherever. It's, it's literally our city. You know what I mean? And so that's what I'm trying to say. It's not just the city. There is no city. Like, the city doesn't exist. What is, what is this? What is the city? I say this all the time. It upsets people sometimes, but... Toronto is just a pile of bricks. Like, what is it without the people? All of the people, you know? And I think there's a group of people that gets excluded from an understanding of what the city actually is. You know, all that Jane Jacob shit. Like, what is that really? When we're talking about that the city is for people, who people are we talking about? If, you know, well, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to start taking shots at people, but like, whose city is it? And the reality is the city is meant, Toronto is one of the most diverse cities on the face of the planet. It, it uses the whole diversity thing to market itself in the world. But how could you be marketing that thing and then excluding huge swaths of people? You know, like, uh, there's still food deserts in Toronto. There's still... A lot of places where people are, you know, their neighborhoods are being improved, but they are being improved for other people. They are being removed from their neighborhoods while this improvement occurs, and then only some of them are coming back. And the, the thing that you can't see, like you can, you can see when 
a building um when a building is well constructed clean when you have access to a grocery store and a bank and all of the core things that you would need in your neighborhood in order to call it a place where you could live without having to leave that place it's not a food desert it's not you can access the, the, the basic parts of life in your place. You have food, you have access to, you know, uh, resources, you have safety, you have transportation, you have all those things. Um, but those are all things that are required by people. And I think a lot of the planning talk focuses on like infrastructure, like physical things and doesn't do a good job at being like, what was the community in Regent Park before Regent Park started getting redeveloped? What were the, who lived across from who? What kind of relationships were there between parents and children or different groups of parents or different communities? You know, um, what, what were people experiencing that they didn't experience when they were moved for a year or two years or whatever, and then they were offered to come back. Was it the same neighborhood? Was it, was that same person living across the street? You know, uh, was that same daycare, like there, a daycare is there now, yes. Is it that same daycare with that particular person who did a very good job of taking care of your, your one kid, so you wanted to make sure that that person also took care of this, the other kid that's coming along? Where, you know, where are the particular corners? Like, to me, that is actually kind of the thing. It's that, like, the city is just a concept. Um, and the concept then comes back to, like, you know, that it is certain kind of dense or there's a certain level of population or it can do certain things or, like, arts and culture or all that kind of stuff. But there's a part of the city that's just, like, me and Paul and Jeff and Rainbow and my cousin Aaron and Akil used to stand in the front doors of Oakwood Collegiate and talk and freestyle. And there's no plaque or statue or monument to that happening there. But we know which doors those were. And we know who walked through those doors and who didn't. And we know what we did there and why it was important. You know what I mean? But there's no little bronze plaque that said, here stood Ian Kamau and his friends who freestyled there in 1996 after Dynasty's first show. They, that's not, that's not. But those stories are actually the majority of the stories. The majority of stories are not Egerton Ryerson. Uh, the majority of stories are not, you know, you know, what's his name? Um, whatever prime minister, you know, the majority of the stories are actually stories that are like that. The interaction you had in the market, the interactions you had in the street corner, your neighbor, the 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 guy who ran the corner store across the street, the the person who talked to you badly in the dry cleaners, who goes to Bellissimo across the street and who doesn't go to Bellissimo, who goes to the vegan place and who goes to, you know what I mean? Like who who goes to to the community center and who doesn't? Who goes to this and who who goes to the YMCA down the street as opposed to the community center? Who plays in these basketball courts versus the other basketball courts? Who stands up by you know, what used to be a payphone, which is now a something like to me, that's actually what the community is. It's very difficult to document those kinds of things because they're so prevalent. 
that's actually the majority of our life. Um, you know, Churchill or whatever isn't the majority of our life. That's just like a story we may have watched on television or read in a history book or whatever. But uh, I, th I think I just wanted to explore like what our actual life was like at that time and the things that were important to us from the places that we were from, the reason why we were out there. Um, that's what I wanted to explore in it. Watch your soul Too many people On the run On the run See us all Too many people We literally always lived a short walk from the lake, like a block or two from the lake. So I was always by the lake, by the lake with my parents when I was a kid. Um, but it was, you know, it's, just, it's right there. So it's very present, like Lake Ontario is very present in my life because I'm always sleeping a couple blocks from Lake Ontario. You know what I mean? So I didn't necessarily plan every single thing out. I knew I wanted to shoot all of my friends um, in front of the places where they lived when I met them. I'm the only one that still lives where I lived when I met them. I knew I wanted to use that, and there's hours of that archival footage of just us in all kinds of different circumstances and situations because somebody happened to have a camera. So I knew that I wanted to use that somehow just because it's interesting to see, like, how a person looked in 96 versus how a person looked in 2021 and that that group of people are still together. And I knew I wanted to integrate the older and the newer footage and to tell a story about the definition of a venue, which is why it's at the beginning of it. And then in the process of shooting last summer, I started just taking the camera out I borrowed it from my friend Ty Harper. I started taking the camera out and just shooting stuff. And when I shot the main things that I wanted to shoot, like I shot a lot more flyers, all the shot, all the flyers are shot in front of the venues. You don't necessarily see that, but all the flyers are shot in front of the places where those shows occurred. Some of them are not venues at all anymore. Some of them are condos. Some of them are... Um, furniture stores, some of them still are the same venues, but I have a bunch of those. So I went out at night uh, and shot a whole bunch of that stuff as well. And then I came back and I just started kind of seeing what it is that I had. And the story came together from what it is that I shot. And I wrote it after like, oh yeah, the thing about the lake, you, you did always live ashore. I talked to my mom. She was like, yeah, we did always live a short walk from the lake. And I just started putting it kind of together uh, like that. And I wrote and then rewrote the piece after I had a lot of the images. And then I went back out and I was like, oh, because I said this, I should capture this thing as well. Or this thing is important. Like I, uh, after the first couple of days, I went and did uh, um, that shot of the subway because I knew I had old footage of me and my friend Kenny down there underneath the uh, Prince, Prince Edward, Prince, yeah, the Prince Edward viaduct. And, you know, that was a graffiti wall. And so we would go down there to see the graffiti. 
Um, and in one or two cases, I did some painting down there as well. And so me and Kenny would go down there. Me and Danila would go down there, just like there, the Queen Alleys, uh, the Keel Wall. Uh, there, was a, there was a spot in Scarborough that like, you could walk, like uh, these kind of like the backs of these factories and whatever, where the East Side mural is, Duro the Third. There are all these places where graffiti artists were like doing their stuff on a regular basis. And we would go there because it changed over so much to see what the new pieces were, who was working, who covered over who, who, you know, said whatever. You know, there was all kinds of drama in that world. And I was never deeply involved in that world, but Danilo was a lot more involved in that world than me. So I'd kind of like go in that process. And so those were, you know, those are, those are all of the kind of places that we were. So I was like, okay, I have this old, this old footage underneath the Broadview Viaduct. I should shoot it again. So I went there actually with my niece that day and shot underneath the Broadview Viaduct. But then when I came back, I was like, there should be a shot from the train itself. Because the train comes out and goes across that bridge and you see the whole Don Valley and the Don Valley Parkway. And you can see the train tracks and all that kind of stuff, the kind of industrial area on one side and the bike path and all that kind of stuff. You can see it. So I was like, I should, shot it. I should shoot it from above too. And I shot it from above and I'm like, oh, I think this is like the transition. Like this is, this is a kind of a, a through line that's happening throughout it. Like we also weren't, we're downtown kids. We're also, we, aren't, we also weren't like kids with cars. We were kids who used public transportation. We were on the train, the streetcar and the bus. We were waiting for the blue night bus. We were, you know what I mean? Like that's, you know, so a lot of our life, if I said I went to high school uptown, though the first thing I would think in my head is like, how did you get there? Did you get dropped by your mom? No, your mom didn't have a car. So by 12 years old, I was taking the train by myself from Esplanade up to Winona Drive Public School and then two years after that to Oakwood Collegiate, which is in the north of the city. How did I get there? On the bus, the streetcar, and the train, you know? So I thought that kind of second act transition where you move from like the neighborhood and the kind of the, the first act kind of like, this is me, this is where I live, whatever, whatever, and you actually get into the story, you cross the threshold into act number two, into this world. The world is the city, and the, it first started really opening up. My conversations about moving through the city started with a conversation when I was probably 12 years old with my mother about whether I could go to school by myself a lot, uh, whether I could go to school by myself because I was 12, and obviously she was nervous about me taking public transportation by myself. You know, so I was like, oh, I think the train, like this mode of transportation is not the forefront of the thing. But I think it's important to be like, to just hint at the fact that the way that we move, and still, I still don't have a driver's license. The way that we moved around the city is through public transportation, predominantly uh, the train and the TTC. That was Ian Kamau talking about the short film, We Went Out. I'd encourage you to look it up online. It is beautiful. It's a celebration of Toronto's hip-hop scene in the late 90s and the early 2000s, and uh, it's beautiful work. Thank you to Ian for being on Free City Radio this week. This has been the 110th edition of the show. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. We share a new podcast uh, every Wednesday, and uh, Free City Radio is now broadcasting on multiple stations in Montreal, CKUT 90.3 FM at 11 a.m. 
on Wednesdays, also on CGLO 1690 AM at 1 PM on Tuesdays, in Winnipeg at 8 AM on Tuesdays, 95.9 FM, and in Kingston, Ontario on CFRC Wednesdays at 1130. That's at 101.9 FM. So thank you to these community radio collaborators. And we'll be back with another edition of the show next week. Take care. Yeah. Mm. I'm sad to say. Yeah. Uh. Uh. Yeah. I'll let you into my home. The only place where I can feel peace and be alone Call me from behind bars asking me to save ya A favor, should've asked for a savior <laughs> Still I fought for you to be free Thought easily that you could've been me I mean, in the same situation Caught in immigration I told you to wait and be patient It's like they write these foolish laws for us Don't believe in the lines that they draw for us They build walls for us And we're trapped inside or outside I doubt I had a life that was close to as complicated Not comparable In ten days you waited Before they let you out into my custody Figured that you had put your trust in me Assumed you would do what it takes We deserve second chances All of us we make mistakes You just needed someone there to speak to So when you spoke to me I believed you